The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Return the Jewels. Also, there's explicit language. And welcome back. It's episode 15. We just got off of a one-week break. Um, Welcome to the new year. It's 2021, even though I'm recording this on the 22nd of December, um, in interest of transparency. But uh, we've been kind of, I've been kind of trying to like stack the episodes a little bit. The content itself is evergreen because the nature of these conversations is so cyclical. So just gonna, you know, we have a few episodes in the bank and, um, you know, it, it helps me to be able to stick to this weekly production schedule while also, you know, trying to get things together to be able to scale at some sort or, you know, build some sort of infrastructure. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very rag and bone show. I don't know if that's the right idiom, but, um, you know, anyways, if you know me personally, which I feel like a lot of the people that uh, watch do, uh, and thank you, um, you know, DM me if you have any like feedback or suggestions for what I need to do to grow and, you know, different tips and stuff, because I'm still just trying to figure this out like a lot of people are. Uh, but that being said, it's the new year. Uh, I guess technically this would be season two of Return the Jewels. And so like a new year, we want to start with a new friendship. So this week is my new friend, uh, Yogi Palawa. So we have a mutual friend, you know, he referred Yogi to be on the podcast because the nature of Yogi's content is, uh, you know, kind of in line with the conversations that we, uh, that we're having you know, he's a he's a stand-up comedian he's an actor he has a very good podcast it's a real dope podcast it's called grubs takers and uh that's g-r-u-b-g-r-u-b-s-t-a-k-e-r-s and uh each episode examines a different billionaire and you know basically goes into a deep dive about it and they do a lot of research and uh you know it's dope so you know, this episode, we talked about billionaires, we talked about representation, we talked about generational wealth, you know, we talked about um, minority palatability, self-defense mechanisms for, you know, growing, thriving, but really just adapting. Um, and so, you know, it's a real interesting conversation. I think it's, it's kind of long. But uh, we also had an appropriation appreciation segment. We did this um, Coldplay video, uh, music video with Beyonce called uh, Him for the Weekend. Yeah, Him for the Weekend. And, uh, you know, just kind of overlaid it, tried to take down the music so that we don't get like a copyright strike down. But, you know, you can hear Yogi talk about it during the thing. So that's in here in this video. If you're listening on any of the audio platforms, you know, as soon as you hear the appropriation appreciation segment, you can go ahead and uh, pull up the co-play video to watch concurrently with the commentary. But, uh, you know, that being said, 
let me stop wasting your time right now and let's get right into the episode. We got Yogi Palawal. Dope dude. Check it out. I'm recording. All right, I press record as well. So cool. Three, two, one. <laughs> Are you <laughs> I know I mean if you can line this up, it's not that hard to line things up. Yeah, no, but, it's uh, not. <laughs> no. You wanna know what we do on my show? So we'll count to four. I'll do yeah. one and then three, and you do two and four. All right. Okay. So one, um, three. Wait. No. Uh, two. Three. Four. Great. So now when you line things up, you'll just look at you saying two, four, and I look at me saying one. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not that hard. Okay, but I definitely we both definitely press record before all of that botching. So I'll just uh, I'm gonna keep yeah. that all in there. So if you're watching now. Sure. What that whole thing was was just <laughs> us trying to sync uh, the audio and um, a video because Yogi himself is uh, editorially inclined, technically tech 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 edit, editor tech. Uh, incl- so he's sending me a, a separate audio. So this might be our best audio episode uh, to date, but uh, to be seen. Uh, but today we have <laughs> Yogi Palaval. Uh, Pal- Palaval. Did I say that right? I mean, it's a W, but I accept I accept V's instead of W's there. But yeah, uh, Yogi <laughs> should Palaval, it be yeah. a V? Should it be a V though? Like, because I mean, I it's it anglicized with the. It might be. I think that 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 could be the case where it should be a V. But I mean, honestly, I don't. Like, as long as you get Yogi right, it's not that big a deal. Uh, isn't it like our our stuff is like V's or W's and W's or V's? Yeah, I mean, I had that issue growing up because I like my folks uh, had accents, and I lived in Washington State. But like you know, you grow up in a uh, relatively actually I don't know if you know this, but like news anchors when they're regional, when they want to go national, they study the accent of the Pacific Northwest because we have such a neutral accent. I did not know that. Yeah, when I was in uh, <laughs> when I was in journalism school, briefly I, I learned that. So I I grew up with the accent that. Like if you're from, let's say, Omaha or if you're from like a small town in Vermont, they go, all right, to get all of your local dialect out, go study the Pacific Northwest. And it's like, you know, Oregon to Vancouver. It's not just Seattle, but like that region we speak very, I mean, honestly, it's kind of boring, but it's very radio friendly, if you ask me. So I I shed the stigma of having a southern accent by learning your accent as a kid essentially technically speaking yes i mean is it my accent it's whose accent is it really but yes technically speaking if you're like i grew up in uh, louisiana or or new jersey where people traditionally have a very thick accent but then i watched a lot of like cnn then technically speaking you you may have observed someone who had an accent that was from the but you live in the source and my exposure is derivative at best. I mean, at the end of the day, we both are choosing to have a voice that's not a suspect. Like, I don't sound like this because I wasn't afraid of racism and also saw my yeah. folks deal with people uh, disregarding their opinion or their stance because of an accent. Or, I mean, you know, even something as small as, like, you know, and I've been guilty of this as well, where somebody might not speak English perfectly. So you think to yourself, oh, they they don't know like they're right. dumb. And it's like, no, they just don't speak the language perfect. But that doesn't mean their brain is less capable in any way whatsoever. 
I've noticed a, a mind-blowing thought in some conversations I have, which is mm-hmm. not really a mind-blowing thought. It's just very normal. It's like, yo, bro, people are very smart in other languages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredibly intelligent. The only thing they can't do is speak the way you speak, and that should matter not at all. Do they do math correctly? Is their brain surgery skills the same? Oh well, Chinese brains and uh, American brains—they're a little different, you know. It's like no, it's no, like, it's... no, man. You know they could like uh, uh, they can like dissect poetry at a very heady level in in Hindi, not maybe not yeah. in English, right? <laughs> and it was like, oh, but you, yeah, we never think that. Do you think that is uh, growing up? being indoctrinated with american exceptionalism is that a byproduct of that me me uh my voice becoming this way is that what you're asking no 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 having uh, having an implicit bias oh i see what you're saying uh of thinking that someone with an accent might not be um you know yeah yeah of course 100 percent. i think that it goes back to just colonialism but also that you know we you know, Indian people specifically had the uh, British Raj just up in their shit for for so long, and like you know, it was like, oh, who's got money? Or well, people that don't speak uh, the language we're speaking, and so you know, there there is a fetishization of like, because you know, so I I um I think that anytime an accent is used, especially in stand up, where the accent is the joke, is just lazy writing. Like it, like it can yeah. be pulled off in some ways. Uh, Dave Chappelle's got a great one, but like for the most part, it's like, oh, and then this person said this, and it's just a bit in an accent. It's like, all right, well, that's not a joke. That's just you preying off the fact that your audience is racist, and that's not, that's technically a crutch, but that's also not untrue. So I kind of understand it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that there's there's levels to. Maybe not to the writing, but how the writing is perceived, at least. And you know, you can argue as a as a content creator as much as you want mm-hmm. how sophisticated or unsophisticated the people receiving your message may be. But also, it's like, yeah, there's definitely a fucking level to the writing of just like, yeah, the accent is a it's a punchline. The skin color is the punchline. Right. Well, do you know the Chappelle joke that I'm refer- referencing where he does a, like a brown accent? The bit is, is uh, he's like, I was on a plane and there was a terrorist incident and a guy stood up with an AK-47. He went, everybody get down. Oh, yeah. Crazy because he was Chinese. (laughs) It's just like such a perfect little gag right there, you know. But that the writing is better. He didn't. Yeah. No, the way I think about that kind of thing. It's like, and I talked to Fani about it. Fani couldn't be here today with us, but uh, he's uh, he's feeling a little sick. Uh, But the way I think about that is like we talk about like not compromising the come up, right? Sure. So, so you know, Dave Chappelle saying, doing that accent and then being like, oh, but he was Chinese. He doesn't compromise like like people like us who are used to being stereotyped with the Apu voice or whatever, or or Middle Eastern people, mm-hmm. that like they still have a come up in that joke because he's making fun of the accent he just did. Yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, I think that the term uh, inclu- inclusive sometimes can come off a bit. Um, I think that when people use the term inclusive, that there's a group of people that shrug that off. But, like, a joke like that, 
he goes, well, this group of people would hate this joke if I don't save it. So he's just running the numbers, really. He's like, yeah. oh, that group, if that group wants to laugh at this, I need to add another tag. And then the the entire, the, if you're a bigot and thought the voice was funny, you get a laugh. And if you're someone that was like, that's how I like people that I'm related to talk, then you also get a laugh. So it's like, it's really just, hey, what can you do to reach 100%? And that's 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 the goal. So a comedian like any politician is really building a coalition. Oh, 100%. I think, I think like if you really look at it, comics are better than politicians. Yeah. But politicians have more power. But if you ask me, like, you know, that Dane Cook army he had in like the middle of the 2000s between like yeah. MySpace and AOL, like if that was a, like a fucking general or like if that was like legit, like, oh yeah, Dane control controls. Bro, Dane Cook controls. He could have like, turned those kids into tiki tortures if he wanted to. <laughs> Yeah, very easily. Yeah, oh, easily. Yeah. I always think about how Tila Tequila was like being a Nazi is cool. Like three years before, she was so close. Really a trendsetter. Yeah, and then PewDiePie um, picked up in her tracks, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it certainly is like. You know, so I like went to uh, before I dropped out. I went to like. Uh, journalism and broadcast school so like yeah. i like had like this is how you make your voice sound better but a lot of that came from like oh if i don't sound uh regular unfortunately then i won't be able to utilize my voice so it it 100 comes down to like hey you should you need to learn how to talk like everyone around you because if you don't they won't listen remember that south park episode where they do the news show and then Cartman pulls a side token and he's like, I need you to look black, but not sound like. <laughs> and and yeah. that honestly, when I think that episode came out when I was a kid, it didn't really hit me until later. Right. Much, much later, like the, the significance of that thought of just like, oh, our discourse has to be presented in a palatable form mm -hmm. always. Yeah. And what is the palatable form? The Pacific Northwest accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, like, uh, strangely enough, Nick Cannon is a perfect example of someone who has who has been against the, uh, you know, whitewashing of black culture, but then also participating of it. So it's like a tough yeah. thing because it's like Nick Cannon is just black Ryan Seacrest and Ryan Seacrest has... I think um, I don't have I have to look this up, but Ryan Seacrest has way more power, influence, and money than Nick Cannon does. Right. And the really difference is that Ryan Seacrest doesn't have doesn't ever take a stance, and for his own career doesn't need to. Whereas with Nick Cannon, I think that being told that you're a bit of an Uncle Tom is something that he's like, man, fuck that noise. I would like to not be that. But then you lose your contracts. You lose. Um, what it means to have the status symbol you got. And that's that's intentional. Ryan Seacrest doesn't need to come out and be like, you know, I don't know, I support Palestine. But if he does, well, you know, the iHeartRadio checks start getting cut up. No, for sure. No, I mean, if you think of, okay, what I'm thinking now is like with minorities, people of, people of color, right? You look at a color swatch, this color swatch, and the darker the shade gets, you know, like, Nick Cannon, other minorities, entertainers get, can always be labeled as tokens. They're not necessarily labeled. They can also act and be tokens, sure. right? 
but they have to fight and actively work to be palatable, whereas Ryan Seacrest, by his existence, is palatable. It's for him mm -hmm. to fuck up, right? right? By taking an issue, uh, by taking a stance against Israel, is how he fucks up, right? Or yeah. by, like, but with Nick Cannon, it's like it's like I got to reform my behavior. I got to code switch constantly to be this palatable. Like I got to create so much character to be a non-character. Yeah, and it you know, it really just boils down that like there is a large portion of the audience that thinks fuck your existence, and if you can't cater to them as well, you're not valid. And it's like, oh, but why? Why do I have to entertain my oppressors? And it's like because they they exist and. As a entertainment marketing company, we need you to be considerate. It's the same thing that's going on with like Disney and China, and like how they're like, "Oh, how about you take the black people off the posters?" And it's like, "Yeah, what if China was just like, oh, fuck women, like just theoretically, right?" So there's like no more women on posters. I mean, that's also already something that is is more common than not. But like, you know, at what point do we dictate what we do to the people that pay us? And in the case of entertainment, it's often if you're not willing to dance how they want you to dance, we don't need you. We'll find 15 other people. You know, uh, I remember like this is yeah. a pre Aziz scandal. I think he was talking about like how there's not as many brown people in media and stuff. And he was like, you know, when they need another superhero, they go to the tiny villages of France and find a supermodel. Or they go to Australia and find another Hemsworth brother. Like they find them, you know, and it's like. So how can we say that oh, there isn't enough when to get someone that just looks like a buff white dude will go to any length to find an individual? Bro, and we got like whole villages of Palwans. That all they eat, yeah. all yeah. they eat are like 12 eggs a day and they like train to just be big people. Yo, I've thought about this for a long time. I'm excited for the Indian Beyonce. At some point, there's going to be a... <laughs> female Indian girl group. Bro, there's already band. an Indian Beyonce. It's Beyonce. <laughs> That's right. She can she can but I change think, her um, culture on a whim. I mean I, I think I think you I guess you're leading into a bit uh or a, a segment that we have on this show. And I you know I prepped you beforehand and so one thing we do on this show is it's a segment called Appropriation or appreciation. And so in this, you know, we find like a case study and, you know, I, I present you with a case study and you make a judgment on whether this is appropriation or if it's appreciation okay. or if I'm presenting you with a false dichotomy and maybe the two aren't mutually exclusive or maybe the two in themselves are false, you know? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share this clip. And when we put this episode out, we may not be able to play the audio since uh, it's obviously a very uh, copyrighted thing. Right, of course. But uh, you know, I'm going to share this clip and I want to get your reaction to this. So um... this is a classic, by the way. When people think of Coldplay, they think of him for the weekend. <laughs> I had never heard of this video until today. Jeez. 
volume down. I mean, that's a very, very expensive thing she's wearing. Yeah, I, I, what I, uh, this kid is my favorite part of this video because, like, he just pops up every now and then, and like, they, there's no real reason why. <laughs> he's just so blue. You think he was just sitting there painted blue? Yeah. They painted that kid blue, and they're like, all right, you're going to be in the next season of Arrested Development. He's like, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> you know they probably painted, like, six kids blue and <laughs> cycled them out. We need a backup blue kid. <laughs> we need this imagery in here. <laughs> I love anytime any British person is like, I'm going to I'm gonna use London as my prop. I'm, I'm going to use India as my prop. Oh, are you talking about uh, season two of Westworld? I've never seen that show, but okay. uh, I now have more reasons to not watch that television program. No, no, they had a um, one of the West Worlds was a British Raj World. Oh, really? Oh, uh, so, but it's just like uh, I guess. I mean, we'll talk about this after the clip. But I love I love when Beyonce is blonde in a music video in India where she's trying to look Indian. Like, what are you? What's going on here? You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, definitely the colorism stuff is heavy, you know. Yeah, I mean, is this appropriation? I don't know. Do I think any of these kids got union wages? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> the, definitely not that kid spinning on his palms. No, he no. probably broke his wrist. Yeah, well, that's the, no universal health care for that kid. But it is you a Coldplay that, video. They probably you know that drummer was like, I brought my drums to India, and they fucked it up with their holy colors. I can't get out of my snare anymore. Yo, they're paying more than the Nike factory. <laughs> I, I, I love this shot, because the, the crowd of people in here watching what they're about to see is so funny to me. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Villagers pay their hard-earned rupees for to watch... A Beyonce kaleidoscope? What? I don't. Yeah, well, sure. Why not? Yeah, like what I'm thinking is like, that's not Bollywood, man. Bollywood, they'd be on like, it, it, Bollywood's always shot in wide on like a helicopter over a cliff, you know, with a bunch of dancers. I actually know a little bit about this song, and I'm pretty sure they recorded it in the main Coldplay guy's house. And all of Beyonce stuffs in this music video, it was like green screen because she's got other shit to do like, than yeah. go to India for a music video. Which oh. is a a, per, a perfect analogy for why this doesn't need to take place in India. Beyonce goes, "I'm good. I can do this from home." I think everyone from Coldplay should have been like, "I mean, I guess we could too." Yeah, I mean, they didn't even, you know. Yeah, it's literally, obviously, it's very, very obviously green screen. Beyonce could have, they could have gotten a studio with Beyonce. She could have gone to a sound set, but no. They could have yeah, built. Solid. They probably have an India set in Universal Studios. You think those Hanuman actors were were paid to scale? <laughs> no, they put a mask on the blue guy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all the. I think those fireworks are CGI in the background too. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, it, it's poverty porn. What this music video is like this part, like what? Oh, they couldn't afford the eight rupee ticket, so they decided to jack a projector yeah. and do it on their roof. Sure, that that makes sense. Yeah, those those fireworks ain't real. Um, yeah, this music video sucks, and it's um, it's frustrating because like you know, I think that uh, there were, at the time there were like a lot of like Indian people being like, "Fuck this music video," 
for uh, many reasons. I think some of yeah. it was like anti-blackness against Beyonce dressing up in Indian garb because that always exists in yeah. Hindu nationalism, like fuck black people. Um, and I don't know. I, I just think that like any group from London or the UK that's like India, we should continue to use them as a, a symbol for our greatness. It's like, read the room, guys. Come on now. Yeah, there's like, a sense of cultural tourism there. It's like, why does Slumdog Millionaire win an Oscar? Because of the pretty colors and the brown yeah. kids with the dirt mm-hmm. on their faces. And it's like, you know, if Slumdog, you know, I think I would care less about this shit if those Slumdog kids' homes wasn't demolished a few years later. And so now there can't be a Slumdog too, because them kids ain't got a home. You You're know, talking like, about to build like the Ambani house? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ambani Tower. Yeah, I said house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's a shack. Like it's oh, visible beyond to... the horizon, that house. <laughs> Bro, it's not a house. Um, You know, like it's one of those things where like I learned recently that um, the British Raj period of the uh, the British Empire is not covered extensively in like the UK schools. And I learned this because I was reading on Reddit that, like, Japanese uh, naval boats will have curry competitions. And they think curry is a British cuisine because they were introduced to it by the Brits. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the naval boats all have curry competitions. And so it's like, I'm happy y'all having curry competitions. But the gall for the UK to be like, yeah, 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 that's us. We do curry. Like, what the? Well, like, Technically, okay, bear with me on this. Go on. Here's why they're right. Wow. Wow, love. You traitor. Because, (laughs) because there was Indian food was so hard for them to pronounce, they called everything curry. Right, right. So anything ethnic is curry. And so they've just literally stripped everything of it. Like, like we know the names of the different ingredients and dishes and everything. And they're yeah. just not like, it's not like, this is yellow curry. This is red right. curry. They, they don't know Chanakadal. They're like, <laughs> right? it's all curry to us. <laughs> right. It's all, so, so it's like, yeah, maybe they got that kind of thing from the British where it's just like, yeah, we're not really going to do anything beyond <laughs> the second result on Google. In terms sure, of sure. how we approach things. like, But I mean, like, it would be like cats in Mexico being like, oh, yeah, sushi's from America. I've had a California roll. Like, it's <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, and so I yeah. get what you're saying in terms of like. I'm, just, I'm not, totally being a pure contrarian. No, no I, I completely. For, and for I don't disagree with sake, you. Yeah. And I I do comprehend that, like, oh, that that's where they thought it's from. So it's no big deal in terms of like, it's not a. a like fuck you i know where this is from but i'm not gonna call it what it is it's just kind of a uh culinary misunderstanding and this happens always like uh, one of my favorite indian dishes is one that i really appreciate the journey of uh pavaji is like indian sloppy joes for our non uh, indian uh knowledgeable folks here and um that dish is actually inspired by the um spain spice trade they were making it in like old school mumbai and it traveled up through the north where there are more vegetarians. But that's why you get, like, a thing of bread with it and no other Indian dish has that. So now, that history is not no. necessarily all 
well known. But because of that spice trade, they were doing that in Mumbai, and then it had meat in it probably then. But then as it traveled to the north, where there's uh, there were more vegetarian regions, Dabas picked it up, and that's and just that's, and carrots and stuff. Yeah, yo, right. that's the only thing with bread rolls. Yeah, so like that's great, and I know the story because nobody in India has ever been like, oh yeah, pavaji we did that shit. You know, it's like, no, it's just food. We fucking, I, I looked at the history of it and I think it's fascinating. Bro, we didn't do Pabaji. My, no, my no, whole, no. my whole childhood is ruined. <laughs> I'm, I'm mad. I'm, I'm so angry. So like, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, if you a Western cat and you love Pabaji, you ain't, you know, this ain't authentic <laughs> Indian. I mean, sure. It's been around for uh, hundreds of years now since this uh, Spanish spice trade. I have but to like, start so, a street. I need to start a street Indian street food restaurant and claim full ownership. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I will become a successful. You can't get like great Babaji. I haven't had great Babaji in New York yet because you need that like that dava that's just been caked in years of making pavaji oh. and like a guy that stirs it every 40 minutes because he forgot like there's something about you gotta risk cholera every time you eat good pavaji yeah i think so i i think that's yeah. the way to do it correctly if you if you survive pavaji you know you had a good experience <laughs> um so like you know i usually am not someone who gives a fuck about cultural appropriation because i think at the end of the day um, like my, I remember my brother a little while ago was complaining about the Indian cities that went back to their original name. So instead of Bombay, it became Mumbai, and uh, yeah. instead of Bangalore, Bengaluru. And he was like, "Fuck these names." That was like the got... late nineties, right? When that, yeah, around, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it might have been even closer to the two thousands, but uh, late nineties is correct. Sorry, but anyway, he was like, "Fuck these old names. The names that the you know British people came up with are like they got like legacy." And I get why, as Americans, we feel that way, but it's just the name. It doesn't fucking matter. And to a similar issue, uh, a lot of the mountains in the Pacific Northwest are named after the explorers that you know walked up them first and said, this was mine. So like we have Mount Rainier and Mount Adams and Mount Baker, but like they have traditional names from the tribesmen that grew up in that region. And with Mount Rainier, they could call it uh, Mount Tahoma or Mount, let's see, I have it in my notes here. Uh, Mount Tiswak, which means like to touch the sky, and that's cool, but similar to the like Black Lives Matters uh, emblems on football helmets and stuff, a symbol means much less than actual concrete change. Yeah. And so I'm less concerned with like a person wearing a sombrero and being shitty, and I'm more concerned with knowledge itself being uh, commonplace. This thing I told you about Bavaji is not nobody cares about but now that you know it it's a great it's it's awesome right and i mean just the fact just the thought that i had never thought about there being no other indian food with like western rolls yep and it just it all makes sense now like oh yeah. no wonder right right and it's not like you were being an asshole it's not uh. like you were like it's just you now you've learned something no, better. No, we it. invented the role too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like in that vein, I'm like, you know, I care. I usually don't care as much about cultural appropriation. Yeah. So like with this Coldplay video, it's stupid. And I think that uh, Chris Martin is a piece of shit for not recognizing, hey, you know, the song about us getting stoned and drunk on the weekend. Maybe we don't need to fly to India to shoot a music video. <laughs> 
would have been nice, but and we're I British, la- remember? <laughs> we should uh, we, we should think about this thing again. Right, right. I care less about that and more that like, hey, British school system, how about you teach the people that are coming up that uh, you suck? I mean, like it would be the same as if U.S. education had zero Native American culture in their curriculum, and the, the, even that's not good enough. Yeah, did you? But did you go to India a lot growing up? As a kid? I went every year, yeah. Okay, so here's something I've noticed. I don't know if you ever noticed it, too. A lot of British tourists, like in big, like Delhi or Mumbai and shit like that, uh, did, did you always notice that in the heat times that they would always dress like they're on safari? Oh, oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. Like, you noticed not, that as a kid, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. And so, yeah. But, <laughs> like, they had, the, they had the vest with the pockets and the, and the, yep. the brim. Yep. yep. That hat that screams Jumanji. Yeah, the Jumanji hats. You ain't in Jumanji. That wasn't just you're, me noticing that, right? No, no. You're drinking Bisleri, and you're, I don't know, outside <laughs> your hotel room. You're fine, dog. Yeah, but that, like, that, oh, yeah. You know, I went to a camera shop recently, and they had one of them vests, right? One of them white vests, safari vests. And I, and I was with a friend, and I was like, you know, you buy a vest like this, and you think to yourself, okay, now I can finally take the photos I want to take, you know? Free vest. You don't, I don't know, I'm a, I don't know what focal length is good. I don't know about which flash. You get that vest on, you're like, okay. Now I can take photos of af- elephants if I really want to. Yeah, this vest is the first step in buying my ticket to India. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, like, you know, it's tough because I think that, th- you know, and like, you know, th- there was backlash when this shit came out because like Beyonce's dressed as a popular uh, Bollywood star. I mean, it's just it's just stolen. It's just stolen valor. It's just stolen material. That Coldplay's using to make themselves look cool. And I think that (laughs) if anyone goes, hey, uh, Coldplay, you guys know that, uh, uh, hey, uh, big fans of stuff, I love yellow, you know, but you guys know that uh, uh, the British Empire took like 40 trillion from India. Oh, yeah, trillion with a T. It's actually 42 to 46, actually, but we don't know the numbers because, you know, you kind of burn those books, if you know what I mean. Uh, Oh, yeah, that that Heart of Hope Diamond and all that shit. Oh, yeah, none of that shit was yours. Oh, yeah. Hence the, uh, the, the titular jewel in our pod in this podcast name that's right that's right yeah and so it's something that you know i don't expect people that are uh shitty people that have the knowledge may remain shitty and that's kind of okay because it's like well if you weren't going to be good you weren't going to be good before you learned how to be better either but to blame people of obliviousness that they're being piece of shit it's, it's very frustrating like it's like I just think that I would be more impressed with knowledge of this shit being more commonplace than, than like with the whole mountain thing I mentioned. One yeah. of the guys I read in New Zealand, they just they just did both names. They just hyphenated it. We don't care. <laughs> fucking the name of this mountain. It's it's the Western name and the fucking name the uh, Aboriginals or, or whatever the group in uh, New Zealand is called them. And guess what? That's not great. Doesn't bring back, it doesn't fucking change the murders and the rape and the pillage and stuff, but it's at least a recognition of like, oh yeah, by the way, this shit was called that. And then a motherfucker can go, go I can't pronounce that. I don't want to say that because I'm a piece of shit. Or then go, oh, I can, I know how to say this. It doesn't, you know, it takes very little to have empathy against 
uh, what has done in, what has been done in the past. But you have to take the initiative to be like, hey, I probably shouldn't be shitty. I feel like you can have so much sociopathic apathy towards other cultures just if you have a fear of being embarrassed by mispronouncing something. Uh, yeah, I you know the worst my name has been pronounced in stand up was never intentional. Was it was it a Yagi? No, no, it was um, it, I don't even remember how they pronounced it, but it was a person that just had really bad stage fright. Like they were just like. They were very new in stand-up. It was in San Francisco, and they they were like, "Okay, coming up to the stage, we have you know, like just like you know, stuttering in it." And so, like that motherfucker isn't. I show up in like a white sheet on my head, and like, "Thank you, I am you," you know. No, but like you know, that guy's not trying to be you know. And I've I've hosted and fucked up names and shit, so it's like. You know, it's a part of the gig to to get that shit wrong. And also, how fucking... Imagine if I was the type of cat I was like, this fucking piece of shit can't pronounce a brown name. How about you read a fucking book, you piece of shit? You know, like, <laughs> he's trying. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's all good. And also, like, so my... Yogi is not my legal name, but I've just been called Yogi my entire life. And so, to have that as a crutch as well... And I guess be, it's, like, it's probably Yogesh? It is Yogesh, okay. yeah. You got to keep the gay in there. <laughs> <laughs> I put the um, gay in your gay. <laughs> um, and so, like, you know, it, it, like even that alone has has tremendously allowed me <laughs> to be accepted by anglicized people than if I had to grow up and be like, hi, my name is Ramayan Siddhartha. Like, okay, well, <laughs> fuck it, roll back with that. You know what I mean? Like, that's, you know. So that sounds I, like I, a I good mean, character name for a Brian Reynolds movie. <laughs> <laughs> this Ryan is my Reynolds. this is my Indian friend from childhood growing up in private school. His name is Ramayan Siddhartha. <laughs> we call him Rob for short. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I've been very fortunate in that, like, I haven't had to deal with a lot of that shit. But like, yeah, man, this fucking him for the week. I mean, even if the song was like, hey. The British Empire was bad, and then just the rest of the song, I'd at least give them, like, all right, well, they're trying, but this video is just a fucking straight cash grab. Yeah. Cultural tourism, man, the pretty colors and all that stuff. Uh, but, hey, you know, I mean, I guess if you if you want to do something about the poverty and quality of water with, like, donations and, you know, go, that's great. But... Um, like that, money goes to that. Come on, bro. It's no, fucking... I Indian fat cats sitting on stacks, stacks on stacks on it stacks. Doesn't, it doesn't, and I bet, I bet yeah. the money that they probably allotted for that, and they think that is going through that, filters through some Indian dude that looks like a fifty-year-old version of me with a couple of gold chains <laughs> and uh, one of those leisure pajama suits on that's all buttoned up, but it's oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all all love- baby blue. <laughs> Now, so you went, you spent your uh, childhood going back to India? Uh, no, I mean not every year, but you Fine. know we go every every now and then for a few weeks. Do you or... find? Because I find this is true with Indian kids that grew up in the U.S. that never went to India, their image of India is from a emotional, um, rose colored look from their parents. 
And yeah. so the way they look at India is like, India, fucking Sahara, it's the best. And you have to be like, I've seen like motherfuckers with like elephantitis at train stations. Like, you don't know Jack. And they're like, no, no, no. From what I understand, it's better than anything that's ever existed. And it's like, oh, I, I, if you want to feel that way, bro, but I'm telling you that. I didn't, I didn't, uh, you didn't, well, well, you didn't have to share the same mosquitoes as a, as a pile of dog shit you just stepped in. Right, like, right. You ain't, you ain't had diarrhea on an Indian. I mean, Indian I'm sorry, train. cow shit, cow shit. <laughs> sure, yeah. The, the dog shit we wash away immediately. Yeah, the, not that much dog shit, it's cow shit. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, then again, criticizing this place as a kid growing up for what third world conditions sure like mm-hmm. lack of hygiene yep. lack of infrastructure shit like that you know and mind you sorry to cut you off love but like all that shit caused by the fact that motherfuckers roll in and just jacked trillions of dollars that's exactly yeah that's not that, like you didn't cut me off like, you didn't cut me off you literally no, yeah. just cut off the slow transition i was gonna do yeah because like i you know i'm you know growing up you know I, i've read so the the like old school scriptures and stuff and they talk about the vast amount of wealth that was contained in that nation and then to know that like the stereotype of the people like me are starving i was like how can i guess we were rich during egyptian times right like that's how it felt and then to be like, oh no, they just they just jacked everything y'all got within like a three hundred year period. And then when they were like, oh no, Germans bombing us now, they're like, well, I guess we got to leave India. That's kind of really what went down and all that. You want to know some crazy love that I just learned recently? It was about Winston Churchill. It's not about <laughs> Churchill. It's actually it's actually one that, that I think will cut you even deep. I was watching uh, TikTok with my wife, and there was a guy that was speaking Maya, the Mayan language, to a motherfucker that was selling oranges on the side of the street, right? A lot of people that are now considered Mexican-looking are actually from the ancestry of, of, of Mayans, or at least they speak right. Maya for whatever reason. And I noticed that the word for yes was ha. And I was like, that's Hindi. Like, that's like, I can recognize yeah. that off the bat. And I remember when I was looking up the fact that Native Americans called Indians, I also learned that in uh, the Native tribes of, like, South America are also called Indians, and Germans actually like dressing up like Native Americans. It's fucked up. It's a whole thing. Germany is like, hey, cut it out, and these German people are like, no, we love cosplaying as Native Americans, but that's beyond the point right now. But what I did learn, though, is that the Mayan language has some similarities to Hindi, but then... The Mayan, like, spiritual, what they believe has, like, their version of Hanuman, their version of Shiva. Like, it lines up pretty well. And there was a um, Spanish Catholic explorer who rolled in and burned all the books. He was like, and when he, they asked him, would you burn? He was like, just the silly nonsense that they believed and not the shit that's correct. But I believe that (laughs) there could be a link between... Uh, the Mayan civilizations and India from the ice bridge potentially, but even to um, people traveling via boat and stuff. So we, we might have a connection to them potentially as well. Yo, you never think about how much burning is involved with whitewashing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But that, like, I, you know what's crazy about that, Love? I learned that from oh, a TikTok dude. where a guy was speaking Mayan and when he said "huh," I was like, "That's too similar." I know that that shit is is could right. be right. Like another thing, um, fate. A word for fate is kismet, mm-hmm. and yeah. in in uh, Hindi, it's kismat. Like yep. you know, right. like I, I learned that as a kid, and I was like, "Wait, what?" 
like that's that that's but you know like there's yeah there's there's all those connections in language. But that right there, if I didn't spend them summers going to India and like my folks, you know, you know, not teach me Hindi but speaking Hindi, I would have never known that that my, you know, I'm I could, you know, obviously everything I'm saying, I'm not saying like, no, nah, I'm gonna be a fucking Mayan. Right, Donald Trump's yeah, not yeah. gonna be calling you Pocahontas. Right, right, right. So I'm not, I'm not trying, to, I'm not trying to be like, you know, I'm all my fucking identity is mine. But if my culture was fully robbed from me, if I didn't know how to speak Hindi and I didn't know where my parents are from and shit, when all that shit happens, you don't realize how connected to the rest of the world you could be. And I think that, you know, when it comes to, like, black people in the United States, they've got the most riveting case of, like, bro, we fucking, our shit was erased. I don't know where my shit goes back before a motherfucker said get on the boat, you know? And so, like, you know, I, I think that, like, in terms of what you y'all are doing with this podcast is one of the things where it's like, yo, they, they think that, uh, Brazilian, in, they called Brazilian people Indians cause they just were like, fuck it. We're just going to call them all Indians. And I was like, man, that's fucking bullshit as shit. But there is a chance theoretically that the entire population, if not pieces of, uh, the U S and South America and the central America, as well as Siberian people are all fucking connected. And even if that that isn't true, just the possibility of it is so interesting to me. Very, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. It's like when you're not looking at white people features, it's like there's a lot of similar features between all the, the, the shaded people. So what I'm trying to say is when a racist person's like, they all look alike. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. We might all be yeah. kind of the same. But, you know, like racist people also kind of all look alike, too. They all got that like scowl, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like fat of some sort. You know what really um, kind of one thing that really pushed the creation of this podcast was. Yeah, I want to hear it. I had it. I was thinking about this and I had a conversation with a friend about how like. You don't, uh, I've never said I love you to my parents or my siblings. And I maybe have typed it in a text more recently, like 30s, in my 30s. And like maybe I've been a little more comfortable to type it in a text, but very, very sparingly. Right. And like, I think about that, like, and and like, why is that? And then it's like, am I the only one? Because I would just feel very uncomfortable saying that. But like, I grew up and all the peers that I grew up around, they could say that freely to their siblings and parents or whoever to anybody. And, um, you know, I think about that. And then it's like, okay, this outward show of affection or whatever. Is this a is this a first generation thing or an immigrant generation thing where it's like we're not going to say these things um we'll curb it's we curb we curb any emotional curb uh, effect i think it's a few things i think that um a part of it if you ask me is a little bit of just straight toxic masculinity (laughs) i think that a, a part of it especially for you know, first generation kids, not even from like the, the parents perspective, but or from the father's perspective, but from the kids, at least, I think that growing up, I wasn't like, like, I couldn't look at a dog and be like, oh, you're so cute. Like, I just couldn't do that. Yeah. And it was because I was like, it's going to make me look weak. Right. And a lot of first generation, like you need to be strong and smart and all that type of like inbuilt, you know, whether it's Asian culture or, or uh, uh, 
Spanish or or, or Mexican, you know, whatever it is, that type of like we're new in this country, so you got to fucking act up type of thing, doesn't allow you to be just like I I, I can be vulnerable with my emotions because you, you're supposed to keep that in because you're trying to be strong, right? But I I have an experience that's moderately similar where when I was like in I think seventh or eighth grade, my parents like it's not like they wouldn't hug me. But they wouldn't initiate it, right? Yeah. And so I made an effort, a conscious effort, to hug them. And for the first little bit, they'd be like, get off me, bro. Like, you know, they, they weren't <laughs> what, like... What are you, gay? Right. <laughs> and this is, you know, you know, like, of course, you know, hugging... Just to clarify, that's, that's something your uncle would say. Or something. I'm not <laughs> saying that. It's me. I, that's not my, that's not my love tag. Is, <laughs> love, this podcast is on notice. Very homophobic. Um... Uh, they're gonna blame me. They're gonna be like, "You're the guy from the." No, I'm not. Come on. No, no, no I was just I was talking about the toxic masculinity <laughs> and older but, Indian uh, males. Man. That's right. And so, but then after time, they're like, "Is this 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 cat's gonna hug me? It's fine. It's no big deal." But there, you there is a threshold of showing emotions that, um, that 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 we had to deal with, and I, I don't think that um, it's necessarily like just an Indian thing. I do think that it's a very just like old school, th- like in the U.S. with American families, I don't think kids that grew up before like the 20s, let's say, had a lot of parents being like, well, I love you, son. Like it's it's just one of those things where um, being emotionally vulnerable and available is a relatively new thing in society, if you ask me. And I'm sure people will be like, oh, you're wrong because of these examples. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying that whether or not it's commonplace is what the what the issue is here. You think that comes with the representation? Do we just need to see Indian families on screen saying "I love you" and 100%, stuff like that? A hundred percent. I mean, like in in Bollywood media, there ain't no kissing. There ain't no. no there's no gay relationships. There's no uh, from from my experience. I'm sure things must have changed over the years. I'm not trying to say there's none of that. No, 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 bro. The filmmakers that do that stuff get mad death threats and they get ostracized. They get you know, right. all sorts of crazy. So so when you feel like showing any sense of um any sense of appreciation emotionally, man, it's it's disallowed. And I and I do think that that's kind of where like you know what. Back in the day, the duty of a first-generation person was you got to be a doctor because I fucking I'm I'm sl- sacrificing for you to get to that level, right? Yeah. And that's just happening. But there's a lot more of us now, and not all of us are gonna make it right there. So, what is the civic responsibility of people that are first-generation in a new nation? I think it's to understand that they need to comprehend how their emotions work. I think that if you have a, another group of first-generation kids that are like. I, I, I will only bottle my emotions always. It's like, oh, you're that's the real fucking up, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, you can't conquer this new frontier that your parents set on until you conquer yourself. A little bit. And I think that for people that don't have this issue, some of what I'm saying must sound like, no, my family says we love each other because we're normal. And it's like, right. I'm happy and proud of you for having that. But in families of strife but also in terms of not everyone has that and for those of us that don't i think there needs to be an understanding that like it's okay that the emotional maturity is not where you want it to be because anything can improve once you work on it but if you just go 
well, I just never tell my family how I love them. Then it's like, I mean, I do think that Indian families, they're kind of like, well, we just know. And it's like, fuck that. Like, I'd rather get, um, cause I, you know, so, you know, um, going back to going to India every year, I like had several, you know, I don't know if they're necessarily life threatening, but I thought I was going to die because of how sick I was several. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, I remember, you know, my mom as encouragement from an old school method when I wouldn't do as well in school, she'd be like, if you're going to fuck up in school, we'll just move back to India. And so the feeling of my existence in a Western culture being temporary was, uh, you know, a thing that debilitated me a whole bunch because I was like, who gives a fuck what I do here? We're probably moving back to India. You know, I was terrified of that. And it's not like India was so terrible, but, you know, I would have been thrown into a culture I wasn't raised in, you know. And, um... So I lost my train of thought for a second there. Um, You're raising a culture you weren't aware of. Right, right. But then what was I saying? The access to Western life was temporary and that debilitated you your, or stunted your growth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought I was going to die. So I remember at an early age, I would tell my friends, like, I love you all the time. Hey, I, you know, like, I, like, I don't know what I'll see you next, but like, I just wanted to know you mean a lot to me. I love it. And what that ended up happening in my life is I've got friends since I was four years old now because I made sure to maintain those connections because I was aware that this could all be taken away from me at any moment. Wow. So th- that, you know, shitty thing made me do something positive from it. And because I, that wasn't the reality that we ended up moving back to India or anything. I now have friendships that mean more to me than I think, you know, because it's very easy to lose touch with people you don't know, you know, see and stuff. But I was able to maintain that. So, yeah. 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 Object and permanence is a real thing with people. Yeah, definitely. So do you think you're over? Do you you have a lot of cousins and siblings? A whole, whole, yeah, giant family. Yeah. Okay. So can you relate to them like you relate to your friends? Yeah, because uh, do I relate to every single one of them? I mean, I mean, mean, is there like an air of like, okay, this is a weird thought. Like, is there like a a competitive sense, you know, where it's like, it's like um, all information is information to be mined and trafficked in? No, 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 nothing like that. No. Okay. Because we grew up together. So there, you know, I would feel... Like, I would feel so much pain over the fact that I get the opportunity to be in a Western country and to to have the opportunities that I have, right? Like, I felt like, man, I better, I have to do great because everyone here doesn't get that luxury and I need to do better for them type of thing. Um, But they never looked at it like that. To them, I just was another one of them that was in a different situation, uh, they're very kind. There could have been a lot of like, fuck you for what you got. And I don't, I'm sure, you know, people would be envious. And I, and I'm not trying to say that that never happened or anything, but for this core group of on my father's side and my mother's side of uh, my, you know, their, their sisters and brothers, kids, there is a mutual understanding of like, we're just, we're trying to do the best we can. And um, that's, that's, that's great. There's nothing about, I mean, you know, man, honestly, love, you You kind of have to ask them. Because from my perspective, it wasn't that way. But I'm sure that shit must have happened where they were like, man, fuck, 
fuck Yogi and his fat ass for this bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm sure <laughs> I, I was a brat in many ways. I know he's eating those Twinkies. I see less of them in the box. <laughs> I know I can't find the rappers. But I know he's eating them. <laughs> I'm talking about he my knows, childhood right now. <laughs> he knows that we have Farlegy with chai, but he doesn't drink chai, so he just eats them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, just because you have one cup of chai doesn't mean you have to have two sleeves of biscuits with them. All chai is, is, is you're not eating a chai soaked biscuit cake. <laughs> Yo, um, but so this, that's kind of the thought process of like, um, is there right? So the American dream isn't so much about thriving and conquering or pioneering so much as it is about adapting and surviving right which which to me like i don't know how it works with you know i don't want to say just south asians but like other minorities other first generation people like that there's a disconnect between the american dream for like immigrants and then like you know and it obviously it's on a spectrum of color but like uh the, the disconnect is like, okay, are we entitled to get the American, to actually chase the American dream? Or do we just have to subsist and survive and adapt until the next generation can achieve that American dream? But the reason I bring all this up is you have a very good podcast with a couple other co-hosts, three other co-hosts that um, you actually, every episode you talk about a billionaire and you go into the specifics you provide a lot of information and not necessarily making the connections between the information pieces of information but you provide enough information for your listeners to infer connections right and in which is like and if you can infer connections between bits of information about these billionaires then you can perhaps have a window into their thought process and i think this is very fascinating for the people that listen to the podcast and really check it out. But anyways, I'm ranting. What I want to say is what I want to bring up was you have this billionaire podcast. It's called Grub Stakers. That's right. I want to ask you about the mindset of people that are billionaires, because I'm sure in all your research now, uh, I'm sure you found like similarities in the thought process, perhaps the casual dehumanization or, or commodification of labor mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, right. like, I'm sure that's a, that's a common trope. And maybe there's a few aberrations here, there are different case studies, but like that, that, and how does that factor in to the American dream itself? Right? Like, so is the American dream Interesting. Yeah. a carrot or a stick? Very, very good questions. Um, just to give a bit more background on, on the show itself, we, we started off with the uh, hypothetical question, is there such a thing as a good billionaire? Mm. And uh, so far, 200 episodes in, the, the answer is still conclusively no. And <laughs> not yet, no? N- not what yet, is this, Finding no. Bigfoot? <laughs> that's harder. That that's No, no, it's harder to find a good billionaire than it is to find Bigfoot. Um but to go to your secondary question of what is the billionaire mindset, mm-hmm. uh, ruthless, unnecessary, psychopathic narcissism. I'm better than everyone else, and if people don't get to my level, I will murder them to get my way. Now, you might think, oh, well, 
this billionaire doesn't murder anyone. And it's like, well, maybe not personally, but indirectly, they're causing pain in the world that is equivalent, if not also murdering people, whether it's slavery, right. uh, sex trading, or just straight up, you know, hey, I'm going to pay you to get my wife off because she ran over a kid and murdered them, but I don't want her to get go to jail type of thing. When it comes to the American dream, I do think that we are in a very particular demographic because uh, South Asians in the United States are on the top of the bottom of the tower of minority in terms of uh, wealth. Right. Model minority. And, right. And so it's very easy for me to be like, we just got to keep on keeping on, you know, brown power, let's go. But the reality is when I've looked at these billionaires with my co-hosts on this show is that the thing that stops a legacy is infighting due to wealth. Mm. After a few generations, especially if they're a part of the company, people get greedy and they go, well, I want more for me than I want for you. And if I have equal firepower, then I could just take what you got. Now, mind you, that is what I said makes a billionaire to begin with. So in some ways, they're just continuing their family legacy, but instead of fucking over the world, they're fucking over their own family, right? And we love to see it. <laughs> love it. We love it. Bro, there Succession is, is one of my favorite shows. There is more content about the drama of the wealthy elite today than there ever has been. And I do think that um, the VH1 lifestyles of the rich and famous type of stuff is a bit of the catalyst and the 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 flint and steel to the fire of what we're seeing now because that shows you everything they got and then you get about 10 20 more years into it and you have like a few scandals here with rich people right like oh oh this person cheated on another person and then you go you've built 30 years of legacy families that in all reality control everything in the world but we're focusing on who they fuck in why they fuck in and whether or not they truly like the people they're around. That's in the real. Right. That's why. That's why the uh, MTV Cribs episode with Redman was so revolutionary. Before it's that, time. that's that's right. He still lives in that house, according to him. Uh, and the and the doorbell still don't work. <laughs> I, I recently watched a video where he, where he did an update on that house, and but that Redman is a perfect example of someone that he's never gonna lose what he got. Because he's not giving himself more than he needs, right? Red no, explain. Kids, say that again. He's never going to lose what he got because he's never going to take more than he needs. Wow. MTV Crids was renting out houses for people to pretend they'd balling out. With right. Them. That's like spending on said, debit versus credit. Red Band was like, I'm all right. You're going to come to my house. And why will Red Man continue? Sorry. Why will Redman continue to be as as profitable as he is? Because his kids won't grow up in a mansion. And they won't think to themselves, I need seven cars. They might think, I want the new PlayStation 7. But they're not going to think, I need to buy one for all of my friends. You know, it's it's yeah. those little things. And so for the model minority conversation we're having here, what does success in the American nightmare truly mean? You, you got to take care of your chicken, to quote Marshawn Lynch. But then you got to make sure that your roots understand where they're from. If I didn't sp- spend my time in India and understand, like, 
People live in dirt, buddy. You don't. So you should be happy for that. I would become way worse of an individual for not understanding or not even be able to comprehend the reality of that. Right. And yeah, Pacific Northwest, that's like proud boy haven. It is. It is a proud boy haven. And it's like segregation max. It's like white people live here, black people live there, and we don't mix. And a part of that is built on the fact that you have tech companies up and down the West Coast that promote liberal ideas but have conservative mindsets. And that's not changing anytime soon. And, you know, I remember when there was that Google memo that came out about diversity and that guy was basically saying women suck. But I remember being like, women being included in groups, especially corporations, isn't diversity, it's equality. And I was like, what do you mean? It's the same thing. I'm like... If you count women as diverse, there could be five white women right. to a company and they hire a white dude and they're like, well, we're diverse. And it's like, no, that's not. If you, yeah, if you're, if you're saying women are, is diverse, is diversity higher, then that means you're literally giving up the game that you assume that white men are the default. Right. And so I remember when that shit came out, I was like, yo, nobody's talking about the fact that this cat is literally going, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah half the gender including them means that we're we're you know we're good enough and it's like no true diversity is by is by class if you ask me we got a cat that that you know and you can see like i don't know about you but like i think that every person loves like uh you know they came from nothing and now they have everything not like billionaires but like and like even you know i remember there's this there's this documentary about a indian individual who gave the untouchables in india jobs working at the public bathrooms that he built right and what they figured out was if you create two troughs and just a y unit you can poop into one and when that fills up move the y thing and after about a week or a month that poop that you put in will dehydrate and become fertilizer but you still need somebody to work in the public bathroom itself and they had this individual that was an untouchable that was working there and he has like a small like dog i'm telling you man the size of a closet he's got that as a bed and he's got like a little mirror and a sink and he's got his own little area and i'm telling you cat love i'm telling you this cat literally i'll I'll send you the link if i can find it this cat was ecstatic he was like i got my little bed here i got my little pillow and i work he works next to a he works in the bathroom you gave the bathroom attendant housing in the bathroom right but these are people that spend their lives on the street yeah yeah and so, you know, that guy that mentioned that, like, he was doing this, he said that when I was growing up, I was so curious about the untouchable people, I went out and I, like, touched one. Because I was told if you touch one, like, your hand would fall off or it would turn black. And his grandmother beat the shit out of him because he was like, you can't even touch these motherfuckers. They ain't human, right? And so, in terms of what it means for the model minority in the United States as Indian people... You, you get over that. There is no untouchable race that's going to melt your hand if you touch them. Yeah. F- forget those ideals. Love the fact that you're brown and the fact that you have Pavaji to thank for the Sp- Spanish uh, Inquisition, but forget all of this in inferiority thing and understand that when people mix, especially based on class, that incredible things can happen because of it. But that is... um. 
it's a long ways to go to have people that didn't grow up with the same backgrounds to see eye and eye and get something positive done. Yeah. And no. it re- it really shouldn't be though. And I mean, the thing is like, I think the only Trojan horse for that idea is humor. Cause like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a matter of um, comparing expectations. Uh, one thing I think was really, really funny was, I don't know if you watched this movie called year one, like from like a decade oh, yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. There was, was a um, scene with yeah, Paul I Shear. I think it was Paul Shear in it, where he was like a slave in Egypt. And they they were like, he was also like chained up and they were like literally in shit having to move rocks or something. <laughs> and he's just like, it's like, hey man, how are you holding up? He's like, hey, you can't complain. I'm in the sun. I got the shit. You know, it's good for my skin. <laughs> I'm feeling great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. That was, yeah. That was the funniest thing ever. It's so good. But yeah. it's literally just like, hey, you know, th- why is it funny that people are finding silver linings for dire situations? Because it's, it's re- I mean, you know, it's relatable in, in a lot of ways. It's just like, if you can't laugh when shit sucks, you're only making the situation worse. Yeah. And that's like that's how you survive in the long run. Like uh your you know, your shit's breaking down and things figure out, well, listen, you're not gonna wanna laugh about this. And people will do like you'll laugh about this later and it's like, Yeah, well right now I'm hurting, but it's like if you can maintain your sanity, you can find something to laugh about. And you know, I, I think that like it's you know, like we can talk about like, you know, people that are bigots and stuff. I don't think and this is moderately controversial. I personally think most people that are bigoted or racist are only doing it because it appeases the people around them. Mm. You know? Do you know about? Are you talking about Candace Owens again? Uh, no, but just in sure, why not? Uh, but <laughs> but all of them, really. Right, right, right. You know? But do you know about the monkey banana ladder experiment? Do you know about this? No. So there's an experiment that happened where they had a. Uh, banana on top of a ladder in a group full of monkeys and they all had shock collars right and so when a monkey would go up the ladder to get the banana the scientists would shock all the monkeys right and then they the monkeys would figure that out and they would so anytime anyone tried to go up the ladder they just beat the shit out of that monkey right but then they would take one monkey out and put a new one in that doesn't have a shock collar and th- that monkey would be like, I'm going to go up, and they'd beat the shit out of him. And they just did that over and over and over again to where none of the monkeys had shot collars. But any time one of them tried to climb the ladder to get the banana, they would tear that b- monkey down and beat the shit out of him. And so in a similar way, I truly think that most people that are like, fuck this group for whatever reason, they're only doing that to appease what they think is the social norm around them. Uh, why do I hate black people? Well, I go to a church, and the people that work there, I know that behind closed doors, they also feel this way. So if I align with them, then I can, you know, this, this, and that. Like, yeah. I, I, I know that that seems very far fetched because people are like, no, I've dealt with a racist, and it was just them. And I'm telling you, man, I really think that truly the worst behaviors are human are only enhanced and and conditioned. Because they believe that that's how the world wants them to be. I'll tell you what that reminds me of. 
there was this article a few years ago about this guy. It's, I think the article is called The White Flight of Derek Black. I don't mm-hmm. know if you read that. It was like in the Atlantic or something. But um, this kid, his name is Derek Black. He, you know, I, I think he grew up in Mississippi or whatever, somewhere. He was right. David Duke's uh, godson. You know, so grew up heavy in the, you know, racist piece of shit world that's big in media. Right. And um, what he he was like a smart kid. And so before college and everything, he, you know, he would lead these um, conventions or whatever. Or he'd speak at the racist conventions that are probably in Mississippi, places like Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi and stuff, which is where I'm from. Um, but he would, he would speak at these conventions and like help have them like try to rearticulate their ideas. So like, instead of saying the N word, why don't you guys just say, uh, welfare Queens, right? Like, here's how you reframe all these issues. Let's reframe this as an economic thing. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So like he did all of that. He did all of that encoding. Then he went to college little bit of exposure to different ideas because he's a smart guy he was able to reframe all their shit that they still use now and yep. like you know they got a president and whole whatever whole whole government out of right so mm-hmm. like because of that he went to college got a little bit of exposure and now the whole article is about how he can't undo the work that he did wow yeah he cannot undo the work he did he still has that family that's really deep in the thing and so it's called the white flight of Derek black in case anyone wants to look it up i don't know if we can link it it might be behind a paywall but i'm sure there's uh, just pay for it uh <laughs> you know for your listeners one of the things i because uh, we do a lot of uh paywall re- uh, research but we don't always pay for it one thing you can do is when the page is loading you click show reader view and sometimes that slips you under the paywall. So it doesn't work for all of them, but it works for, for most of them. Yeah, and there actually are some TikToks that show you, like, things you can go into the source page and just edit, like, a couple yeah. of lines mm-hmm. of code. And you're yeah, able to yeah. get behind so many different paywalls. Which is another thing about it. I love TikTok for that reason. is because <laughs> I guess there's just too much to monitor that like people are just putting out like, oh, here's this life hack for how you could do this. Yeah. And here's the thing to do this. And here's like, and, and then it's like, literally like that K-pop band was able to, uh, you know. <laughs> right, right. Take down the, the Twitter, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which has led to it getting banned or the, mm-hmm. the, the trial balloon of saying this is gonna get banned so that we can sell it to our crony company. Right, right. <laughs> It's crazy how useful of a tool it is. Mm-hmm. And yet that's also like, you know, it's very similar to the internet in that when utilized correctly, it allows humans to prosper and enhance their life. But also at the same time, it proliferates softcore pornography and probably is involved yeah. with so much pedophilia. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, sorry to make this, oh, no, this point a downer, but like this. Uh, let me let me let me bring it back into abstract. My, uh, <laughs> I, I have a friend. My friend put me on to Alan Kay lectures a few years mm-hmm. ago. You know who Alan Kay is? Mm-hmm. He uh, he was part of Xerox Park. 
way back he came up with the oh, graphical yeah. user interface mm-hmm. that uh you know i guess uh, apple and ibm and all that they uh yeah. basically ganked but yeah. he uh for any for any of your listeners that don't know this is this was xerox's think tank that essentially made the computer but then xerox was like that's not a printer we don't need that and then people like bill gates and steve jobs and uh people that worked at ibm were like this shit's cool we should do this at our place um yeah yeah. sorry go on no no so so basically what is this guy essentially right he's essentially a thinker right he comes up with a graphical user interface so He's still around, bro. He does like mad lectures about education and stuff like that. And what he talks about, uh, he talks a lot about like, um, you know, this, this, the interface of this is designed for babies, you know, and there's literally so much capacity and capability in there. But the way we interact with it. Oh, no, I think you froze. Um, Chris. All right. I just press record as well. All right, cool. So, uh, Alan K, uh, one, GPU. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going one, two, three, four. Okay, awesome. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, we we just we're coming back. We just had a couple of tef- technical difficulties. Anyways, what we we're talking about is uh, Alan K, uh, K A Y. He, um, Xerox Park, right? The big think tank, all those. Also, he invented the graphical user interface. This guy is a thinker, right? So he does a lot of lectures and stuff, and you can watch these YouTube videos. And it's basically, he just drums on the same thing over and over and over. But, uh, you know, talking about how the user interface that he designed that really hasn't ever changed much. It really mm-hmm. is. Like, it's everything's still drag and drop, you right. know. Uh, it's designed for babies. So it's absolutely so intuitive that you don't need to learn anything to learn it. Why do you think we're so apprehensive about droids? It's still kind of a similar user interface, but it's not, you know, so it's designed for babies and we're so, but the thing is, imagine the group think consciousness we would be able to unlock if we had a more sophisticated understanding and ability to use our right. tools. Yeah, that, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And that, that is 100% correct that, you know, we are limiting ourselves by remaining in the past when it comes to what it means to function as a human society. Yeah. And like one thing he did, one uh, metaphor, you know, because I love metaphors, you know, one, one metaphor he loves to use is like imagine growing up for generations at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Right. Yeah, right. You know, everything around you, it's a rock formation. So everything around you is different gradations of rock. So they're right, brown, right. pink, brown and pink, brown and pink. Everything around you is brown. and pink. You look up, all you see is blue because it's sky, right? Blue, right. then black, blue, then black. But it's blue. There's no other context for the blue that you see. So when people think about like technology or whatever, he talks about like Moore's Law, M-O-O-R-E-S, or M-O-O-R-E, Moore's Law, where it's like, you know, the technology of the future exists today, but it's just more expensive and you got to buy it now in order right. to monopolize that production of the technology in the future, whatever. But like, in terms of that, in terms of this metaphor specifically, it's like, you can spend your whole life knowing the brown and pink around you and like the 
different consistencies of the rock and the subtleties in the rock, but you don't necessarily understand anything. Cause if you're like, well, I want to go towards that blue because nobody understands what the blue is, but I see it, you know? Yeah. And so, and people around you will be like, no, that's fucking insane <laughs> because everything is pink and brown. Uh, have you ever heard about anybody going to the blue, the blue? No. Right. You right. know, don't so, exist. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, how, what a crazy person to think right. that they could go into the blue. And so, you know, actual thinkers, people that like dedicate their, not, I don't want to say dedicate their lives, but like maybe are in positions to be able to think for a livelihood. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like Alan Kay. Right. They're the ones trying to chase blue essentially. And we are so caught up in people that love to show the narrative of them right. chasing blue. You know what I mean? Like we're, yeah. we love the narrative of chasing blue, but the people that but chase blue, right. But, but the people that chase, well, we benefit as a society greatly over generations over because of the results, but like, but like the people that actually do chase blue, they aren't really good at crafting personal narratives about them chasing blue. Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, that yeah. becomes yeah. a huge societal disadvantage to that. Why Xerox Park? It wasn't IBM, you know, all sorts of why these billionaires aren't the ones that were the thinkers chasing blue or are they? I mean, in your research, do you find some people think they are? I mean, you know. It, do I think society benefits from billionaires more than it detracts from the world? No, I, I really don't. I think that the true innovators aren't people that have everything comfortable. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes I a lot really, of sense. You know, and, and it's like, okay, so nobody that's from any amount of money can do anything uh, innovative? No, obviously that's not the case. But if you don't, if like I tell you, that oh my car door jams a little bit and you're you're well you're you know well to do enough where you're like just buy a new door you would never think well if we just jimmy rig this the zip tie will work correctly like a zip tie isn't innovation like it's not like you didn't invent the zip tie but you have to solve the problem without throwing money at it and yeah. a lot of what makes this innovation and chasing blue like you're describing here happen is you know, there's a great story of, um, I believe it's GE, and they would have like an electrical test about that was impossible. It was just like a, it was like a hazing ritual that they did at GE, and it was like make a light bulb that's contained within something. And I think the thing that came out of it was a uh, neon lights, maybe. I'm not exactly sure, right? So please, I'll apologize for my my negligence here for the story. But they hired someone in uh, I think 1930s or 40s and they're like hey you got to do this task if you want to work here you know and and the motherfucker did it because he didn't know that it was it was a prank he didn't accept the limitations that the people above him thought existed and because of that he's like I need this job or you know whatever the reality was he was able to create something that didn't exist now the question of do billionaires do that I don't know if GE doesn't exist as a company, then this person isn't hired, then this isn't that. So, like, I comprehend the argument for people believing billionaires will solve all the problems. 
But I think that when you look at something as simple as, you know, for Ferrer Rocher and Nestle to make as much money as they do, they use people that have been trafficked across borderlines to then pick sugarcane and cacao and they use the utilized slave labor to allow them to make that much money. Okay, well, how much would it cost for them to sell? It would be 30 cents. And they make they others dependent on the breast milk too, don't they? Right, right. And so I don't think that the billionaires are chasing blue. I think that if we're honest, they want to keep people in the brown and pink because chasing blue makes them irrelevant. Like right. making society function better is not in their best interest. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about like the people that have bigoted uh, Zionistic views. It benefits them to be in the group that says that these things are true. And that right there is more powerful than like being correct like if everyone in your company drinks blue Powerade and your boss talks about how great blue Powerade is and you show up with a Gatorade and then everyone's like, I don't know if I trust this person. And it's like, dude, because I'm drinking a different sports drink. It's like, well, we're a blue Powerade family here. That doesn't matter. But all of us have gotten in line with this person's thinking. So you coming in with something new hurts us now. And then it's like, it doesn't hurt you at all. You should probably try Fanta. It's even more delicious yeah. than Blue Powerade done right. <laughs> Hell, know, mix them together. Who cares? You it's know? like how embarrassed before the result did that one person feel at Jonestown who was like, nah, I brought my own water bottle dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man, I should have done that with everybody. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. <laughs> you know, I like... <laughs> um, yeah, I think that... Uh, I think that when it comes to... It's very easy to look at a uh, aristocracy and think that they benefit the world from the good that they do. And I'm including billionaires in this conversation. But I think people care a lot less about the queen when you realize, oh, she's benefiting from millions of people dying and trillions of dollars coming to her bank account. And the reason you and I speak the language we do is because anyone that didn't before us and didn't fall in line would be murdered if they hence, didn't. Hence the Queen's English. Precisely. Mm -hmm. So um, I do think, though, that the master's tools will never uh, dismantle them, the master's houses. So it's like us doing this show to, among, like, you know, us building things within the Western capitalist culture. Does this... Does this allow us to break down the structure? I don't know. I I'd like to think it does, but you know, I I often talk about this on the podcast. Like sometimes I worry that somebody that is a decent person would listen to 200 hours of us saying, "Oh, these people got rich because they had access to money at a young age and were ruthless enough to you know kill their way to their riches," and they think, "Okay, now I need to do that," like. How do I know I'm not creating future people that want to become billionaires from my show? I'm trying to do an object of good, but uh, theoretically speaking, there is a world of people that go, oh, apparently you can just murder your way to the top, and then people will forget that once you're up there. 
How is that? How is that? How is that good? It's like the opposite of the representation we're fighting for. Because it's like we need to see the pathway for ourselves for becoming enlightened individuals, but you are providing a pathway for depraved individuals to become uh, powerful psychopaths. Theoretically, you have a Sith this. training camp. <laughs> Does it make me money in the long run? Who who's training who? <laughs> no, you just hold you just hold all the Sith ancient texts. That's right. That's right. I'll burn this shit down if you cross me. <laughs> um anyways thank you so much for coming on yogi hey, I had one more thing if you're yeah. running out of time that's more than fine but i have something that i want to drop on y'all but it'll, it'll take please, a moment please 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 okay. please oh 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 right 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 yeah yeah yeah. all right so uh you and uh samir uh on the episode y'all did y'all talked briefly first about ever episode by the way check it out the y'all talked about uh rudyard kipling the man that uh wrote the jungle book as well as Several uh, short stories. Well, the man know. who is credited as the author for the Jungle Book. We, right. We'll Even see though, whether or not he wrote it or not. Right. <laughs> Even the letters that he wrote says that I probably stole that shit. And, you know, before this episode, I actually watched a little bit of a documentary that talked about his upbringing and how he was born in, the, at the time, Bombay, and then went to the UK and lived with, like, cousins or something. And then those the mom in that family would just beat the shit out of him when he was 11. And then he moved back to Bombay when he was um, 16 and then uh, joined like the local like paper basically for the military. And um, everyone that was white would leave uh, Lahore when it would be hot. And I looked at the weather. It is like 115 to 118 degrees uh, Fahrenheit during this time period. So they'd be like, fuck this. We're just going to Hills. But when he was, Ruder Kidley was like 18, 19, he was like, I'm just going to stay. And he would cross the boundary between white Lahore and actual Lahore. And he got into opium and pot and just fucking prostitutes. So this is, this is more information that I thought I was going to get into on this this little piece here. But I just I just learned that. And he wrote the talking. best children's story. <laughs> but from that, he started writing fiction. He, his first fiction was about an opium addict who was like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to keep you in opium. But that, that's when he figured out, oh, fiction allows me to say the truth without having to be journalism, right? Anyway, so Rudy Kipling, we code everything into a metaphor. Right. And that's how you achieve your own catharsis and perhaps broadcast catharsis for so many people who may be able to decode. So the question I had for y'all, and I'd love to ask your co-host this latest point, but Rudy Kipling uh, basically steals parts from Indian people, a story about Jungle Book, which portrays uh, Indian individuals as savages, right? The motherfuckers got a Western bent allegiance toward uh, the British Empire at the time and is a piece of shit, right? Then you have, uh, decades later, Walt Disney, who worked with Nazis, uh, slowed down the progress of uh, equality with female animators at his corporation, as well as many other things. But This was before Disney+. Plus. This is pre-Disney Plus, yeah. Right, right. Uh, he creates uh, Jungle Book. Right. And it's one of my favorite Disney movies, unfortunately. And um, that, you know, the, the, you know, the writer rooms for Jungle Book, they did a draft over Rudyard Kipling's version. And Walt Disney supposedly said, all right, how many of you guys have read this book? And none of us had raised their hand. And he threw in the trash. And he's like, okay, good. We're going to make a better movie now, basically. Because like, he was like, this book is too fucked up. We just got to make a f- good children's movie. Disney's running out of money, right? Because this would be the last Disney movie that uh, would be 
with Walt Disney at the helm because he would die uh, right before it was released. And this movie was so popular, it got Disney to make uh, their money back. And this is why Robin Hood uh, has similar animations because they had no money. They were running out of money. They used the Hunter Wind Dalmatian animation for the wolves in the beginning of Jungle Book. All right. So now the question is, and this is what the main thing I'm trying to get across here, right? If you don't have capitalism and Rudyard Kipling and Walt Disney are allowed to just focus on their bigotry. Do they succeed in making their worldview of white people are great and brown people suck as people, but because they made children's movies and children's book, they were focused over at chasing money instead of making sure that their bigotry was something that was maintained. Does that make any sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, well also, okay. Two things. Um, first I feel like if you're peddling propaganda, maybe it's not necessarily like bigoted propaganda, right? Or mm-hmm. no, I don't want to say propaganda. If you're peddling bigoted thoughts, you right. money, isn't necessarily relevant if you can package it as propaganda because you see the effect of that yes right that operates within a capitalist system but it's also its own system of having to like peddle in propaganda in itself it, it, it permeates society differently so like yes there's a propaganda and i'm sure you know yeah there's a lot to be argued and and to be shown about disney nazi propaganda and all this stuff mm-hmm. but um having children's movies things like that that in itself is a way to do things garner goodwill and build your war chest right right is the war chest the war chest you need for in a capitalist system but even in not in a capitalist system even Mm -hmm. in a smash and grab system right you know you know you need wealth you can create your own micro capitalist system uh, if you hoard wealth like that's how you know, that was like the first agent of uh, colonialism in India was, you know, the East India, the Dutch East India Company. And one of the guys on it, this guy, Robert Clive, you know, basically just started hoarding a little money and then got private mercenaries, all the blah, blah, blah. Right, uh, right. Boom. You know, look, oh, oh, shit, I'm creating the path for how this can happen. The other way I want to relate it. Take the hate out of it uh as a comedian right you're going on stage every night to maybe not necessarily peddle your message being like yeah the things that i think and the way that i focus thoughts or need to be heard by the world they maybe it's for hey i need to i you know i need to eat so i need to be on this gig i'd love to be on this show you know i i need to get better at doing comedy so a lot of comedians don't get paid for years yeah. and you know this obviously you didn't get paid for years no right so you have to have a day job right and so the kids movies are basically disney's day job right i see what you're saying yeah okay you know so <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah I, it's something i've wrestled with for 10 years i don't know i don't know the answer to it's just a thought experiment but i really question if they are allowed to just focus on fuck fuck these groups of people i'm gonna be i'm gonna be better than them and i want to make sure that everyone knows that they wouldn't have 
they have to build the coalition. Capitalism is a tool to build a coalition so as not to alienate them when you're Trojan horsing in your bigoted ideas. But do, does society then benefit from them needing to build the war chest before they can do those things? I guess not then, huh? Because then it makes it so that it allows them to have the capital that they need. Right, social capital things. and monetary capital, yeah. all sorts of things. Right, Disney can make the Disney does a Mandalorian and then does Star Wars, and then they can I just, also I do just mass graves. There is, yeah, well, that, that is true. But I don't I know if they do that. that. I'm not saying Disney does mass graves. I uh, really well, want you to pick well, up this podcast, will, um, please. Like, I want to be on the network, and I love we, you guys. Okay, Disney well, World is yeah, great. Well, I'm going to say some shit that's going to get you banned, because sorry about that, bro. We did a three-part series on Walt right. Disney and the Disney Corporation, and in our third part... What are the episode numbers, if you can recall offhand in case... Uh, I believe it's one... Um, 30... I can't, just look at Walt Disney Grubstakers. Right, right. I fucking remember shit. Right, yeah, okay. um, <laughs> in the third part, though, because uh, this was our Christmas season... Um, right. I spent maybe 45 minutes, love, going over every single um, pedophilia, pedophilia claim that Disney has covered up. And in, it goes as, love, the, the most outrageous one is Disney Cruise Line would do snorkeling events on Little St. James Island, the Epstein Island. So... And you want to be like, oh, that's that's kind of fucked up. That's not that big a deal. The CEO of of Disney at the time was connected to Epstein, and and uh, let's just say he's not there anymore. But I'm telling you, love, the amount of things that I found about Disney and the level of peddling they do to maintain their image, and so they're willing to sacrifice those kids. Uh, there's a line in um, wow. a rapper No Name's uh, song where she <coughs> says. Uh, Christmas is is the the route to cancer, and in that same vein, Christmas is a what? Uh, Christmas. I don't make sure to get the stupid line right. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh no! At Christmas is the route to to cancer. Okay, Christmas anyway. is the road to cancer. Uh, I'm so I'm so mad at myself for not knowing the stupid line. Ah, who gives a fuck? That's anyway, funny. all I'm trying to say is that um, if Walt Disney doesn't create the Disney Corporation and just chooses to be a guy that says fuck uh, Jews, then you don't have thousands, if not tens of thousands of kids being uh, uh, raped by, by Disney. So it's one of those things where I am I am conflicted as to what it means to peddle. But then again, I'm making my own argument not make sense anymore. So now I'm not, now I'm not happy with how I phrase anything to that well the benefit to be extracted from the christmas movies the highly capitalized commercial holidays that we have and um, I don't know. I wasn't talking to you about it on this episode, but I talked about it on the previous episode we had with Kunal right. and um, just about logging different moments in time in terms of your own personal narrative and personal history as 
uh, nostalgia triggers, right? Like being like, oh yeah, like the island code different sights and sounds and smells into how I'm feeling right now by eating this kind of food over and over. So that right. four years from now, when I eat that food again, it's a nostalgia trigger for this moment in time. So I can remember how I yeah. thought, whatever, things like that. <clears throat> but with like, with that, all of these intellectual property devices and things that are created like Bambi, you know, all of these, all of these things, people get some sort of connection with, you know, they might associate it with happy childhood memories or whatever, but basically Disney is essentially a data company creating these, uh, this raw data for people to turn into their own nostalgic triggers, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I know, of people that are like adult Disney fanatics and they, they, I mean, it's clearly like, yo, I had a good moment in my childhood and they involved Disney. And so I can't deal with reality. So I need to go to Disney every year. And it's, you know, I've seen posts with people are like, was going to Disney during the pandemic and being pregnant worth it. Yes. And it's like, bro, what? But that is what the system breeds. It breeds people that don't have enough empathy to allow themselves to connect with their family. And it makes it so that they look at capitalism. They look, uh, they look at escapism as the only way to feel good about themselves. The lyric that I misquoted earlier, I'd like to say right now, love it is, I know cancer's origin linked to Santa. I know Santa's origins linked to money, mass production of cattle, slaughtering for the yummy. So uh, no name song 31 for you. But that is. Can you say um, it again. Can you read it again? All right. Is uh, I know cancer's origin linked to Santa. I know Santa's origins linked to money. Mass production of cattle slaughtered for the yummy. Wow. Yeah, she's great. No name's awesome. Yeah. No, I really. I don't know anything about No Name uh, other than. Uh, well, first of all, I don't know her name. Uh, but uh, like, uh, other than the J. Cole thing. Sure. Uh, that's that's the level of media consumer I am, you know. Other than like, I, I guess you know Apple the Twitter beefs. Very patronizing. Hmm? You know the Twitter beefs. I know of that Twitter beef because it transcended Twitter. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, she's someone that I think is a perfect example of how do you function in this culture without compromising your integrity, and so. Uh, a few years ago, she she had like a NPR tiny desk and made a few albums, but then she was like, "This doesn't this doesn't get shit done." I can put what I just said like in my songs, but it's not concrete. I'm just I'm just making it so that the people above me get paid, and I have to work tirelessly to reach what I want to reach. And so right now, she has started like a socialist book club. And they read uh, uh, very, very great, you know, moving books. I've read a few of them, and like that, isn't nothing. But in terms of capital, it you know, oh, she fell off, and it's like she's literally trying to redistribute knowledge. How can that not be a greater cause? Aaron Swartz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's you know, in this culture, if you ain't stacking stacks, you ain't doing enough. Yeah, it's the poison of America. The poison. There you go. There's our title. <laughs> right? How do you feel about yeah. that title? Yeah. Sure. I, I, you know, I used to, 
Mm-hmm. If you want to do that, you, I, I also uh, feel free to use that. I used to say uh, America is toxic, but it's mostly intoxicating because that's that's how it feels. Can I use that? As, should I use that as a title? Whatever you want. I don't uh, it's, No, That's probably one of your that's a bit you have. No, it's just a line I got. That's a line you got. I don't want to use that as a title. The Poison of America should be the title. I mean, if you're listening this far, you can have that kind of like cool moment and be like, oh, yeah, oh, this is the title. Oh, now it makes sense. No, yeah. but uh, The Poison of America? How did it- Great. That sounds perfect. <laughs> I think as somebody who has never fit the mold in this country, I am more than honored to call myself The Poison of America. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, that's right. Because on the thumbnail, it would look like because your name would be right above the title. Oh, I don't of the care. Episode. I you tell me. <laughs> you tell me I'm not. You tell me I'm not the American nightmare, motherfucker. I came to. I, I show up to go up, man. Uh, so maybe I should make the title. Uh, Yogi Palawal, the poison of America. Parentheses. Just to clarify, that's a metaphor. Sure, sure. <laughs> you want to make it that long? Feel free. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have to now. Uh, I think you should go the other way about it, and you should do no dash. You should go Yogi Polywall, parentheses, the poison of America, and people will think that you're calling me out. Like, oh shit, oh yeah, and then I guess if you if you're watching this far, it's just an Easter egg. Yeah. Um, and if you want to cancel me, then well, I think people will this... come for me, and then they'll listen to the episode, right. and they'll be like, well, I mean, that guy doesn't really say anything I didn't agree with. <laughs> And and guess what? If I did say some shit you disagree with, yeah, good. you're on to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yo, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Yogi Palaval, Grub Stakers Podcast. That's we right. can find you on your um, social media. I know you don't really care too much for, but it's uh, your social media handle is? I'm Yogi underscore Polywall on Twitter. If you look yeah. up Yogi Polywall, you can find me. I beat the rest of the Yogi Polywalls in the world for the Yo. uh, SEO. Um, but yeah, if you go to yogipolywall.com, all this information is there. It's a comedian's website, so it's not updated as much as it should yeah, be. Yeah, it really doesn't work, actually. <laughs> no, yeah. I, well, thanks. Thanks, Lop. I appreciate that. Um, as, of, as of the recording of this. Maybe not as of the release of this episode. Who, it doesn't work? My website doesn't work again? No, no, it didn't work for me. Like, No, the website works, but literally any tab you click on, no information comes up. It's just like oh, yeah. the background. Oh, yeah. it's, it's like a startup that doesn't exist. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It looks really nice, but none of this shit's yeah, actually it doesn't. It is down. I got to fix this shit. Okay. I was like, there's no That's content. <laughs> but anyways. Oh, you know what I think it is, actually? It was built on Flash, and I think they just disbanded Flash. So. Oh, yeah, because that makes sense. Because <laughs> I would imagine I was like, I, I'd imagine that's some sort of like immigration error not like uh, immigration like people sure, but sure, like sure, immigration yeah. between systems and so Bro, but it just looks like my face is just looking at the person that's using the website <laughs> yeah, everything you click it was and then so none weird. of the links work just, nothing works i was like i was like oh damn i gotta prep this episode <laughs> fuck adobe fucked me they got rid of yeah. flash right. but now you know and you're gonna probably renovate the website and probably renovate a lot of other shit in your brand because it's like one of those tinkering things. The last thing I'll leave you with, it's like that one cold open from that episode of Malcolm in the Middle, where uh, Hal is like he sees a light bulb go out, and then and then at the end of the whole montage, Lois comes back and he's like working underneath the car. And That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "Did you replace the light bulb?" He's like, "I'm working on it." <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, that's completely true. Once this website's fixed, nothing else will get done, probably. <laughs> right. So that's how I feel about production and brand building. So anyways, um, uh, thank you so much for coming on, uh, especially in our infancy as a podcast. And we really, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, things are going to be dope. And, and we've had conversations outside of this recording that have been really helpful to me in terms of uh, thinking about the direction of this podcast and uh, you know what can be well you're welcome uh you use the term conversations but we've only spoken once before this i want to make that that's true clear well, on the record okay i included i guess well yeah no i guess it's only, it was only we, once. We, i guess we said yeah, i guess it was only once yeah i guess i don't want i don't want the yeah. audience to think that we've been we've been hanging and banging and uh, for a long time i've no. been this very, is the first new. time I'm seeing Yogi's face other than when I went to his website and that's all I saw. <laughs> I'm looking at it. It's like my own eyes looking back at me and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm in love with you, but I don't love you, but you are me, but you're the past me. bold, creative choice. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if the audience wants to see this, but you know what? <laughs> let's let's see it while it's there because, I mean, it's going to, um, I'm sure you're going to have... <laughs> It's a perfect background image. If you had it's content like, it looks over good. it, like it's yeah, it's not bad. It's a good but yeah, shot. No, it, it like it. The website like used to have drop down pages. You know, right? It, it used to work. <laughs> no, I, I figured like it looked it looked nice, and it was just like, oh, okay, this is this is just just a website issue. <laughs> I gotta yell at a webmaster now. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, this has been great. I really enjoyed this. Uh, yeah. It was very nice to come on. Uh, I'd love to come back anytime y'all want me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening uh, to the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, if you want to check me out, just look up Yogi Paul while I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all that other shit. I'm not all that active on that stuff because I don't believe in uh, uh, content creation. I believe in lasting conversations between humans that want to function in a society that's better. Um, so yeah, but I really appreciate being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.